Um, let me pray, and then we'll jump right in. Um, Father, we uh, thank you for another opportunity to uh, look at your word and to have our hearts exposed to it so that your spirit might use your word to transform us. Uh, but we acknowledge that it's not the human effort that people have changed in the ways that they need to be changed, but ultimately, Lord, it comes through the work of your spirit in our hearts, and we ask that today, uh, as things are shared, that you would connect with people where they are, move upon their hearts, turn their hearts toward you, so that they may love you, that they might serve you, and that they might experience life that comes only from you. We praise things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so today, uh, as you can see, the title slide tells you what today is. Today is story time with Master Ben. Uh, and so I have four stories. Oh, look at Sarah. Exciting. Thank you, Sarah. I have four stories. Uh, and as Sarah asked me beforehand uh, what this is about, these are my props. They're really my points in my sermon to help me remember them. So that's what they're really here for for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, these are great little things. And uh, today, what I'm going to do is tell you four stories. Uh, then after that, I'm going to go to the Bible, share a text or two with you. Uh, and then make a point, and that's pretty much the message for today. Uh, and so uh, I, I want to do that by sharing the stories from uh, a gentleman's life that I want to introduce you to. So if you go ahead and move to the next slide. Uh, this is the person we're going to talk about today. His name is George. George lived in the 1800s, uh, and so life was a little bit different back then, but there's still the world that we live in, and I, I want to share some things from his life. Um, so George, uh, when he was growing up, uh, he grew up in a home uh, in which his father worked for the government. Uh, he was a tax collector. That is, that what his job was to do uh, as dad of the family was to go around to people's houses or to the local place where people would bring money to give to the government so that the government could keep running. And, his, and in light of that, because he collected the way they collected during that time was different than how we collect taxes today, uh, he would often have money around his house in large sums. So in bags and coins and cash, you know, whatever things that were the people paid with, and then he would have it laying around his house. Well, there seemed to be this little problem he kept noticing happening in his home, uh, that after he would bring the money home, and he would kind of tally it in light of what he expected to collect from all the people, he would have that money. When he went to turn the money in and to recount it, there would always be a, a smaller amount, a smaller fraction than what he had actually taken in. And of course, uh, since it was in his home, uh, he had two sons and his wife, he didn't think his wife was guilty, so he asked his two sons, George being the oldest, hey, um, did either one of you touch the money that I brought into the house? And of course, both sons denied that they had taken any of the money. Well, this kept happening, and so the father began to become suspicious and began to narrow down who he thought it was in his home. So when George was 10 years old, uh, one day his dad called him into his office. His dad said, come on in, son. I want you to stand right here. Uh, when he came in, he said, stand right there. I'll be right back. I've got to go into this other room, and I've got to take care of something, and then I'll be back into the room just a minute to talk to you. And when he left, as George was standing there, he noticed that at the end of his father's desk, there was a set of coins on the end of the desk. And as George was contemplating what those coins were for, he felt this inclination in himself that he could find a better use than giving the money to the government. And so he worked his way over to the desk and he picked up three of the coins 
He bent down and he dropped him in his side. And he waited in his place. Shortly, his father walked back in the room. When he came into the room, the first thing his father did was he walked over him and he looked at the coin pines. And he commented, how strange. It, it seems like I don't have as many coins as when I left the room. And he started to count. One, two, three, four. When he got to the end of the count, he realized that he was three coins short of what he had left in the room. So he looked at his son, right in his eyes, and he said to him, empty your pocket. George, of course, pulled out his pockets, and nothing but some string came out. No coins. And he thought that his father might stop, but he was persistent. He said, take off your shirt. George took off his shirt. His dad took it, and he shook it out, and no coins. But his father wouldn't quit. Take off your pants. Mm -hmm. Took off his pants. He shook them out. No coins. The only thing besides his underwear they still had on was his socks. Just then, George's heart almost leaped out of his chest. He said, your socks, hand them over. Now, George tried to slip the sock off as easily as possible without the coins clinking together. His father got them and shook them and out three coins. It was in that moment that George's father looked at him and said in a stern voice, my son, a common thief? How could you disgrace the family name? Come over here now. Mm -hmm. And his dad reached for the cane that was near him, and he introduced him to the rod of correction again and again and again. George, broken by the experience, weeping in pain, feeling the pain of the webs upon his legs, hobbled his way up to his room, fell on his bed crying, he promised himself he would never do it again. So I have a question for you. Do you think that he changed after that? Yes, 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 no. Okay. So that was for the children's ministry. This is for our well-student ministry. What I have here is a bill. It says Holiday Inn, that wasn't the name of the inn, but that's the bill I can find the name of it. <laughs> so that's what we have today, the Holiday Inn. So this happened some years later in George's life. George, at this point in his life, was 16 years old. He had just graduated from the Cathedral Classical School at 16 years of age. And because he had graduated, he was off at what was considered something like a boarding school. He went off to go to school and stayed there and then he would return home after he finished the semester or the year. Uh, it was time since he had graduated to return home. But George wanted to do something else. He wanted to do a little travel to see the countryside in that area of the country. And so he wrote his father a letter before school was out. And he said to his father in the letter, Dear Father, hey, listen, they have asked me to sing in a special church service two weeks from now, and so I'll be home two weeks later than expected so that I can sing in this special church service. Uh, there was no church service that he had been a part, asked to be a part of. 
But what he wanted to do was to take these two weeks and travel. The only problem that he faced, though, was that he didn't have any money. And if you know, it's really hard to travel when you don't have money. Right? You can't really vacation. You can't go to Disney. But they require money. And so he had an idea that he would be able to, to implement, to be able to, to be able to live out and have an experience uh, of going on this vacation. So he went down to this one city where he wanted to stay, and he checked into an inn. And during those days, you could stay at the inn, and at the end of the week when you got ready to check out is when you would pay your bill. And so what he did was he stayed the entire week, enjoyed the sights, had a wonderful time at the hotel, and then at the end of the week, he slipped away without paying the bill. And he got away. And he thought this was such a wonderful experience that he would do it again. He had not been caught, nothing had happened, and he got, a, he got to have a wonderful week for free with food and a nice place to stay. So he went to another city and he did the same thing for another week. But things turned out a little bit differently than he expected. I don't know if it was that the hotel manager suspected something, but at the end of the week, when it came time to pay, he found his way to the back of the hotel, to a window, and started flying down into the alley. As he climbed down into the alley, he noticed at the end of one alley, the end of the side of the alley, that there were some gentlemen waiting for him, and he happened to be dressed up like policemen. And so he looked to the other end, thinking that he would make an escape, and that's when he noticed there were other guys dressed up like policemen at the other end. They had hemmed him in on the alley. And what did he decide to do? Well, he saw he was still trying to make a break for it, and so he did. But unfortunately, the policemen caught him. And they grabbed him as a 16-year-old, and they carted him off to the local jail. When they took him in, of course, Georgia made up his mind that he would say nothing about what had happened in the other city. He would tell them nothing, any, no details that would get him in any more trouble than he was already in. What he did not expect, though, was when they got him there, they took him as a 16-year-old boy, and they gave him, I don't know if it was a good cop, bad cop routine, but they set him in a chair in a small office for three hours and grills him. He broke down, of course, in tears and confessed to everything, even information they did not have, and told them everything. As a result of that, they sent for his father. Well, during those days, there was no telephone call. You couldn't just come immediately, so they had to send it by mail, have a carrier take it to contact his father, and then his father had to make the trip back. In light of that, he had gone in in the middle of December, and he would stay there for almost an entire month in jail, in his cell, waiting for his father to arrive. When his father did finally get there and arrive, you can imagine his father's attitude toward him. As he went out to get in a coach ashamed of what had happened, his father, they got inside, and his father simply said to him, what would your mother think of her oldest son right now? Answer me that. And for the rest of the ride home, for all those miles, his father said, Now, my question to you is, do you think that after this experience, George changed? George changed. Well, that brings me to my next story. A little bit later in his life, this is a, a hammer, very nicely purchased by Pastor Mike, which I have borrowed. And this is for our Venture Young Adult Ministry store here that perhaps you can relate to. George had made it to college, and George decided in light of these other experiences that he had had in life, not to mention some other, other ones that I did not talk about, that he would turn over a new leaf. He would do life differently. 
He was going to go to college, he was going to study hard, and he would not live like he had lived in the past. He was going to be a different person. He had made his mind, I'm going to change, I'm going to live differently. I'm not going to be the person that I used to be. And so George went off to college, and during his first half of the year, uh, he did that. Some of the records we record that uh, he would get up early in the morning around 4 a.m. He would start studying about 4. He would then go to his classes, and then in the evening he would study until about 10 p.m. at night. So he did that regularly. Until so he ran into an old friend who came and said, Man, George, you're studying a lot. Every now and then you need to take a break, brother. Why don't you come out with us? And he was like, Yeah, that, that sounds good. I'll do that. And so he went out with his friend. And George then discovered that old habits die hard. And as he went out with his friend that night, he found himself, again, returning to things he had done in his youth. He started drinking again, started gambling again, partying again, and hanging out and spending money. And because he was living this type of lifestyle on his occasional days off, uh, even though his father was sending him money to support him, he was spending money much faster than the amount of money his father was sending him to take care of him because his father didn't expect that he was living this way because he had said he was going to live differently, turn over a new leaf. And in light of that, at the tavern and gambling debts, and because he had gambling debts, he borrowed money from friends, he found himself halfway through the year in need of large amounts of money. And so he had to come up with a way to deal with this, and that he did because he had a wonderful way of coming up with plans to get money. And so he came up with this specific thought and plan and scheme. So it's about this time of year, uh, about the time of the month, it was time for his installment for his father. And when his installment arrived, he took time to tell all his friends that, hey, the money for my dad is here. I got my money in. Got to make it for this month. You know, pay some of you guys back. I got all this money. We're good. We're good. I'm doing well. I got money. And all his friends knew that the money had arrived from his father. After he had made it well known that the money had arrived, he went back to his room, sneaking in without anyone knowing, and he took the money, and in his chest, his trunk, he had a false bottom. And so he removed it, put the money there, and put the false bottom back. He then locked his chest, and he took the hammer, and he smashed on the lock until it broke. And then he went to his guitar case, and he smashed on the lock until it broke. He put the hammer back, grabbed his coat, locked his dormitory room, and went out for a nice walk. And then upon arriving back, he made light conversation with those who were in the dormitory, the other gentlemen who were there, and made his way up to his room. When he got to his room, he unlocked the door, he opened the door, and looked inside, and lo and behold, someone had broken into his chest. So he ran down the hall to the director, and started to scream, my money, my money's gone. Somebody broke in and took my money. And as he screamed, of course, other guys ran to him, and they were trying to figure out what's going on. And he was telling the director, his money was His friends felt so bad for him, but the money that they had was never gone. And they were asking, who would do such a thing in the dorms? Who would steal his money? They felt so bad that they took up a collection George. And at the end of it, when all the money was taken in, he had twice as much money as his father. Now the director was always suspicious, but never could prove anything. 
And after that, their relationship became tenuous. And George always felt weird around his wife because she had always been so nice. They could never prove that it was him, but the director was suspicious. Now you ask after that, that question, the question I would ask is, do you think that having that experience caused George to change his life? So let's fast forward in his life a few more years to our final story. It has to do with this. This is the best thing I can find that could represent fine china. <laughs> it was here at the church of the spring, so. <laughs> George is now 25 years old. And something wonderful has happened in his life. He's met a young lady named Mary. And she's wonderful. She's brilliant. She knows more about astronomy than he does. He speaks six languages, she speaks three. They become a match made in heaven. And so a month after his 25th birthday, he marries her. A simple ceremony, nothing fancy. A few friends, family. And then he begins to, at that point, load up her belongings with her and four trunks. He took the trunks and he started to put them onto the wagon or whatever it was they were carrying them back. But he noticed that two of them were really, really heavy. And so he just remarked to his wife, uh, hey, I, I didn't realize you had so much stuff. To which she responded, you didn't think I was penniless, did you? Broke. I have my mother's china. I have family silverware. I have tapestries that have been passed down from generation to generation in my family. You know, I'm not broke. And I think that what I, I'm going to take all the stuff and I'm going to make your house and so he was like, okay. And so they headed off. When they got to the house, uh, he had to travel for work, and she took time as a new bride to transform what had been bachelor pad into a married environment. She polished everything. She dusted his house. She scrubbed all the floors to make it immaculate. So that when George arrived back, she was extremely excited she greeted him at the door with a huge smile on her face to tell her new husband about all that she had been doing. And that day she had been spending the whole day cleaning, so she was really excited. And she told him, hey, look, come inside. I want you to see how wonderful the house looks now in light of all the work that I've put in. And George came in, and he looked around the house. And he went and he sat down in his chair, and he slumped down with a sad look on his face. Not the response that his wife was hoping for. And he made a statement. He said to her, it has to go. And she said to him, well, what are you talking about it has to go? And he said, everything that's not necessary has to go. Now you can imagine his wife's shock in that moment as a new husband said this. And she said, And he said this to her in response. I travel around the specific area that I'm in, which is called Dedna, and I preach to them that the Bible teaches us to live a certain way. And I tell that to everybody, I'm telling these people who are poor, to trust God. Uh, and so how is it that I can come home and live in all this opulence, have all these trinkets around, when we both know that the Bible says, that Jesus said in the Bible, sell your possessions. Oh, that's in here. Cool. But she was like, but, but, but wait a minute, wait, wait a minute here, right? 
And so they got into this whole discussion, and she talked about what it meant. She was like, well, look, he said, well, didn't your brother, wasn't he a missionary? Didn't he sell everything to, to go and serve the Lord? She was like, but you're not a missionary. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I am. I've come from another country to this country to serve. And so I like that after the discussion was over, she came to agree with this point. So he went to work the next day, and when he came home, the house looked very different. It was just the things that were needed. All of the tapestries, those rugs with the beautiful pictures on them, all the silverware, and all the china was gone. She had sold everything. And she presented to him all the proceeds from the sale. She gave them to him and she said to him, do with these as you see fit, what you think is best. He took those proceeds and he gave that money to support and help the poor. Now the question I have to ask you is that the George that I'm talking about here is it the same George here? And the answer to that question is yes. It is the same person. The same person who took the coins who hid the hotel who tricked his friend is the same person who asked his wife to sell everything. And the question is, how did that happen? Let me show you. Let's go to the Bible. So here we find this in Luke's Gospel as he records Jesus' words. He says, Jesus says to, to his disciples, do not fear, or don't fear, little flock, because your father wants to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And get for yourselves purses that will not wear out. The treasure in heaven that never runs out where thieves can't steal and moths can't destroy. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Jesus said that his disciples have only two choices. To either treasure this world and the things in this world or to treasure the things in heaven. That is God and Christ and those things that pertain to him. And ultimately, you have to live one way or the other. So what happened in George's life? Well, there was a story that I did not tell you that happened in George's life during college after he had taken money from his friends. Sometime later, George had ran to an old friend who had backslidden and was trying to experience worldly ways, and so they hooked up for a while they did that. But at some point in his life, he returned back to the things of God. He had started attending a Bible study, so one night he invited George to go to the Bible study with him. To which George said, well, hey, you've been hanging out with me. We've been hanging out at the clubs, going to the tavern. We've been doing all that kind of stuff. Let's, uh, I, I'm willing to go to this Bible study with you. And so he went. And something unexpected happened. He heard about God and what God had done in human history through the person of Jesus Christ. And God moved on George's heart. And every night that week, George continued to return to the Bible study. And at the end of that week, he found himself down on his knees, asking God to forgive him of his sins, to change him so that he could live a Christian life. From that point on, George's life went in a brand new direction. He started changing so much so that his friends noticed it. He no longer had a desire to go out to the taverns, to tell wild stories, to drink, to gamble. He didn't even want to borrow money from friends any longer. He started to live in a very different direction. 
As a result, some of his friends noticed the change so much that they didn't like it. And they just said, you know, hey, we don't want to be friends with you anymore because you're not doing the things that you used to do. But George had changed. Why had George changed? Because what George treasured had changed. He no longer desired the things of this world, but he desired God and the things of God. And when his treasure changed, because where his treasure was, that was his heart also. His heart changed. That is, what he loved most changed. And when what he loved most changed, his life changed. Brothers, that's the point for today. Simply that. That until what you love most changes from this world and the things of this world, your life won't change. But when your love changes to God and the things of God, then your life will reflect what you love. And your life will change as well. So my admonishment to you is, if you want to see a different life, then your treasure must change as well. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for giving us the testimony of Christian lives and that people who live in the real world like us can tell us about their lives. And we can see ourselves in them. And we pray, Lord, that in each of our lives, we will evaluate what it is that we love. If it's not you, if it's the things of this world, then would you, like in George's life, move upon our hearts? Would you change us so that our lives could change? Lord, we know it's not through human effort that any of this can happen. That's what George tried to do. He tried to reform the different points of his life. But he never could. It wasn't until he met you, until he came into contact with Christ, that you produced in him a radical change of life. And his whole life went in a different direction. And the same is true for us. That until we come into contact with you, until you move upon our hearts, until you shine your light upon us, we can try to reform, but we never will change. But we do pray, Lord, that you would change the treasure of our hearts from the things of this world to you. And in doing that, our lives will change. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.